the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hey, this is Scott Snyder. Hi, this is Denny O'Neill. My name is Neil Adams. And this is Paul Dini. Hi, my name is Dan DeDio. This is Kevin Conroy. Hey, this is Francis Manipal. Hi, this is Jim Lee, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 228. I'm your host, Dustin, today with me. This is Ed. We're going to be in a bit of a hurry because we watch Game of Thrones. <laughs> Way to show our hand. And this is Artemis. And we are bringing you the latest comic news and comic book reviews from the weeks of July 16th through July 29th, which includes Comic-Con. Um, we have uh, three books to cover and a bunch of news from Comic-Con, so let's just jump straight into the news. The very first thing we have is on July 17th, it was announced that uh, there will be a new digital series uh, coming, uh, digital platforms starting in August. This is called Gotham City Garage. It is based off of the Gotham City Garage uh, collectibles line from DC Collectibles. Um, this is actually going to be written by Jank. Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly, who were previously on Grayson as well as Batman Eternal. Um, the artist is going to be Brian Ching. Uh, basically, the story is that it's been a decade since Lex Luthor has saved his people from devastation and turned Gotham City into a modern utopia known as the Garden. With the rest of the world in ruins, Luthor City continues to thrive, but not for everyone. Order has been kept only by the Lex's technology that networks the entire population under one mindset. And if a citizen steps out of line, the bat and his minions are brutal in restoring the status quo. So when a young Kara Gordon comes under suspicion by her Lex's superiors, she heads straight to the dreaded wasteland where she'll discover the fierce oil and gear rebels of the Gotham City garage. Now, the basic gist is that uh, Kara Gordon is actually Supergirl, but she is was adopted by James Gordon and is the sister of Barbara Gordon. Um, mm. So it's a kind of an interesting, unique look. Um, Wonder Woman, Harley Quinn are both expected to be in the line. It's another female-centric line, but that doesn't mean other male characters won't show up. But it's same. It, it falls very similar to uh, DC Comics Bombshells, which also derived from a collectibles line and was also very female-centric. So that is coming digital digitally on August 16th uh, in print, I believe, starting in August or uh, October. All right, so then moving straight into solicitations, uh, also released on July 17th. Solicitations for October release. If you remember from the last episode, we we rolled off a ton of new series and miniseries that are coming in October, including Batman the White Knight, uh, Batman the Dark Prince Charming is actually coming in November, the Shadow Batman miniseries, Ragman, Harley and Ivy meet Betty and Veronica. So that's all stuff that's coming to uh, stores in October. And as I mentioned, Gotham City Garage, the first print issue will also be in stores in October as well. Uh, full full giant list of solicitations are on the website, along with some of the feature cover art from some of the issues. Some of the stuff worth mentioning is that uh, the cover of uh, Batgirl number 16, again, has... Batgirl teaming with uh, Dick Grayson, so that's going to continue on. Uh, we also see that uh, Batwoman and Red Robin are standing together 
with his uh, with with Dick in his Nightwing uniform holding the American flag over in the pages of Nightwing: The New Order. Um, there's a couple of different. Uh, reveals the Devastator Metal one-shot will be written by Frank Thierry with art by Tony Daniel, and the Batman Who Laughs will be written by James Tynion IV with art by Riley Rossimo. Uh, Lost, Batman Lost will be written by Scott Snyder, art by Oliver Copiel and Bengel. And uh, so you can take a look at uh, all of that stuff over on the website, full details, tons of stuff. October is going to be a big month to put a dent in your wallet. So... Be on the lookout. All right. So then uh, moving into San Diego news, a couple of different things that we've got from San Diego. Uh, Very first thing we've got is that in a panel, very briefly, uh, it was a panel. It was a meet the publishers panel. Grant Morrison kind of uh, showed up mid panel to surprise the crowd and announced that he was working on some stuff. But one of the things that he announced that he's going to be working on, as he put it, Arkham Asylum 2 um, but it's going to specifically feature Damian Wayne, and it will uh, be in the same vein as Grant Morrison's Batman 666. Um, and the only other details was it's going to be 122 pages, and it's going to be great, as he said. So um, once the project officially gets announced, we'll have more details. But I think what he meant by Arkham Asylum 2 is that it's just a graphic novel focusing on Batman because that – is how he did Arkham Asylum, but I don't feel like it's an actual sequel to Arkham Asylum. So we'll have to wait and see with that. Well, I hope that they get the same artist and they do the same art style as Arkham Asylum. They're not. Uh, I know. Uh, Chris Burnham has already been announced to be doing the art for this sequel. So uh, definitely not the it, same style. I want Yeah. I mean, I don't honestly why Berman can do the, the same style, but I really wish that if they were going to do this, when I first saw it, I was like, whoa, whoa and I was like, uh, it's not really. So I wish we were getting the same style book because Arkham Asylum may be one of the most unique art books in the history of Batman. All right. So moving on, we've got the the next thing to talk about is uh, the, the Dark Knights, the evil Dark Knights from Dark Knights Metal were revealed. This includes the uh, the Red Death, Murder Machine, Dawnbreaker, Drowned and Merciless. This was reviewed. Uh, this was announced at Comic-Con. We have a picture of all of them over on the website for you to check out. So be sure to check that out. Other news from Comic-Con included uh, Scott Snyder announced that Duke Thomas will be getting his own series. Um, as we know, his name was announced in, in uh, Dark Days, the casting. His uh, code name is now going to be The Signal. I'd love to hear Ed's thoughts on that real quick, since he wasn't able to discuss that on the last episode. It's not great. <laughs> I mean, it's, uh, I don't know. I mean, it, it I, there is some context to it um, in the casting, um, but... Mm, I don't know. It's not great. Like it might grow on me. I don't see how that's, you know, I, I don't think that that's, uh, that's great. All right. So uh, the big thing about Duke Thomas announced at San Diego is that he's actually going to be getting his own, his own series called the signal. Um, this <laughs> series will be done by Scott Snyder and also uh, a co-writer, Tony Patrick, who was one of the creators or writers that came out of DC's in-house workshop. Um, so they'll be teaming together, call, doing a series, a series called Batman the Signal. Um, no word on exactly when exactly it's going to release, but I would expect it to either spin out of metal or November, December, or somewhere in that time frame since they've already announced it. But it's not happening in the immediate future, but it could be happening right around the corner. And I didn't see anything on this. I'm assuming it's an ongoing, although a miniseries would probably be a better idea. 
Yeah, probably it would be a better idea to do that, but I don't think they're going to do it that way specifically just because it feels like they have this desire to have as many series as they can, even though they, they there, there's certain series that, it, you know, I shouldn't say that because it feels like actually so a lot of the announcements that came out, uh, you know, that are happening, the new series that, are, that were announced for October and into November, a lot of that stuff is miniseries, but it feels like when it's in continuity, unless it's an event, they tend to not have it as a miniseries. Hmm, I agree, but I, I wish it was. All right. So uh, the other the other big news out of Comic Con was there's a little bit more details released released in regards to Doomsday Clock. Um, Doomsday Clock is going to be 12 issues. It will be illustrated by Gary Frank, written by Jeff Johns, as we already knew. The current plan is that their series will take two breaks in publication in March and August of 2018 um, for unknown reasons. We don't know why exactly that's happening, but that's what's happening. So 12 issues, it's going to start in November. Um, The first issue will actually go on sale on November 22nd. And then that means it'll round out with the 12 episodes. The last issue will release in December of next year. If my math is correct, Um, the story will be Superman centric and will start one year into the future from current DC continuity. The timelines will link up at the conclusion of the series where readers will see the characters that have been affected by the events of Doomsday Clock. And uh, that's basically what's happening. So the series, as it happens, will eventually um, as as the series is published. Normal continuity, meaning everything that's happening in Batman and Detective Comics, will catch up to what's happening at the same time as Doomsday Clock actually ends, which makes things even more super complicated, probably more than they need to be. But that's what's happening. Well, at least it only goes on for a year. Well, uh, I don't know. Not great. But I will say this. Batman Earth One, Gary Frank did some great art. So it should be a pretty looking book. It's true. All right, and then some of the other uh, minor announcements that came out of uh, Comic-Con. There was uh, an announcement that Joel Jones will be joining Batman with issue number 33. This is actually the the second time ever that a female has been handling the main art duties on the Batman series. The, fec- the first was Becky Cloonan back in August of 2012 with Batman number 12. There, other than that, there has never been a female handling the art on the actual title. Um, also, Tim, Tom King and David Finch both took home the Eisner for Best Short Story for the Ace the Bat Hound story, Good Boy from Batman Annual Number 1. So if, you, if you're, if you I guess, one of those people only picks up Eisner winning uh, stories, yeah, Batman stories yeah. that, that's a story to pick up. Uh, uh, I can I can honestly say that uh, Batgirl did not win an Eisner. I'm very glad that that did not occur. Um but yes, that happened. Um, and outside of that, um, as you're listening to this, we have a number of interviews that still actually performed while she was at Comic-Con. Um, we have interviews as you're listening to this. They were published this past week. So you can take a look at those. We have interviews from uh, the Benson sisters for Batgirl and the Birds of Prey, Jody Hauser about Mother Panic, Marguette Bennett about the DC Comics bombshells as well as Batwoman. Uh, Tom King talking about Batman and James Tynion talking about uh, Detective Comics. So be sure to check out those interviews over on the website. Um, outside of Comic-Con news, there was two new uh, two new articles for This Week in the Batcave. Uh, the big highlight out of the last two weeks as far as what 
uh, the, you know, the hints and stuff coming up. Uh, Alvaro Martinez revealed the new Asbat suits because uh, Azrael's going to be Asbats. He's going to have an Asbat suit. And bum, bum, bum. It's oh, really like Nightfall is, is slowly returning. Um, so there's a sketch image on the website. You can definitely check that out. Um, and then obviously be sure to check out every Monday morning for This Week in the Batcave as Jessica check, tracks down all of the details surrounding all of the comics and the creators involved and in what they what they release. So be sure to check that out. Outside of that, we have no other news. Uh, Comic-Con was was actually, actually was news that came out of Comic-Con, which at least last year there wasn't any news that came out. Uh, obviously, there's a, there was a bunch of a new series and new miniseries announced that we talked about in the previous episode. Um, but Stella, if you had to just basically say what one of your favorite things about Comic-Con was, what was it? <laughs> Uh, I think my, yeah, we played this game, Josh, Don, and I played this game called Highs and Lows, so this is basically it. My high would definitely be talking with Julia and Shauna Benson, because I missed out on that last year. We just didn't get a slot, and I've been really appreciating and enjoying their work, and, and, you know, the first thing I said to them was just how much I appreciated what they were doing in that I can tell, well, their work just in itself, I think, is a letter to the fans and a letter to and in that original run and everything. And they were just uh, very kind. Uh, they teased a lot of fun things coming up, like Cass Kane be- being in the book. Also said that it's easier to bring in characters once they've been established elsewhere. So having Big Barda in the book is now a, po- a possibility because Mr. Miracle and then, of course, Zinda. So they did drop those sorts of things. And then at the very end of the interview, <laughs> they both hugged Don and I. And I think that's the first time, probably the only time that I, I was ever hugged by talent. And just uh, it was just such a pleasure. So that was definitely my my high point for the con. Yeah. What was your low point? Yeah. The low, <laughs> the low point was at the end of <laughs> at the end of it on Sunday. Everyone is out because the convention hall is closed. So basically, it's like this whole mass of people have just exited the convention hall, and we can't move. And the way Comic Con is, Dustin, you've been there, uh, but for Ed or other people, you've got the street, you have a fence, and then there's a bus lane, and then there's the sidewalk in the convention center. And so we're trying to move. Many people are trying to move so that we can go down to the nearest like crosswalk. But then there are also people staying in line for buses and it's just not moving at all. And tensions started to get high. Someone had an altercation with a cop. A woman got shoved viciously. I mean, it was like (laughs) basically being in a mosh pit almost without paying tickets to be in a mosh pit. And people are complaining that, you know, we're not moving. And I'm like, give me a break. No one's moving. Plus, you've stood in lines to get into a panel longer than this. But that was my low point. Just like you wish that people after experiencing, you know, Comic-Con, which is amazing and in all of its different facets and everything, you would think that people would be more positive, even if they're waiting around. And it's not like they have any other place to be, honestly, but that would have been my low point. Way for bringing us down. Great. (laughs) You asked. (laughs) Sorry. Couldn't resist. Right. So, Comic-Con is over and done with. Uh, like I said, there are lots of interviews on the website. Other things related to non-comic stuff, there's plenty of other things, too. There was also a new trailer for Justice League. So be sure to check out the website because all of the news from Comic-Con has all been posted up. So be sure to check that out. 
All right, so let's just jump straight into our comic reviews now. And the first book we have is All-Star Batman. All-Star Batman number 12, The First Ally, part three. Writer, Scott Snyder, artist, Raphael Albuquerque. Uh, This issue opens up in the dual timelines of Alfred's past with Briar and Batman on a sinking submarine with some help from Penny One. Batman and Alfred are able to uh, save the sub and everyone on it, and Batman gives Alfred the okay on basically a I told you so moment. We didn't see the past, uh, so Briar has knocked Alfred out after the last issue he pointed a gun at him. Turns out it was just a tranquilizer dart. No surprise there. Um, Has taken him to a secret dungeon uh, below the Tower of London where traitors have been taken for a long time. Briar promises Alfred that if he stays, he will give him that higher purpose he was looking for uh, and that he will always also be there for him. Um, Alfred asks him if he gets a car. Strange question. Um, Alfred uh, resuscitates Bruce as he patches him up from the submarine rescue mission. Uh, Bruce tells him that he got his hand on the Genesis machine in the fight, and Alfred tells him that he knows Briar, and that we now learn that he was what it was called the Nemesis program. And I have to wonder if that is a reference to Resident Evil significance program, maybe a little Easter egg for Mr. Snyder. Um, Alfred then tells him that the knight, uh, the, the knight guy in armor that he encountered on the submarine was who he was training to be, uh, and that Briar was very much his Alfred at this time when he was training to be the night guy. Um, then we see Hush, Penguin, and Friends show up uh, and bust up the party, steal the Genesis machine, and then blow up the uh, looks like Wayne Hotel that was in construction that they're in. And as we see it crumbling to the earth, uh, we get the next time blurb. Uh, there is a backup when we have more Russians doing Russian stuff. I've really only got one question for this issue, to be honest with you. And I think it's the obviously the core question of the entire issue, which is, does the implica- implication that Alfred wasn't just a secret agent, but was in fact a costumed hero before he met Bruce and Bruce became Batman change your interpretation of the character, change the way you view Alfred and do you love it or do you hate it? I don't think it changes my opinion of Alfred. Um, the one thing that it does is okay. I, I get, I'm looking at it from this perspective. What are the chances that Alfred would be a costumed vigilante before he goes to serve a family where the parents die and the son will end up becoming a costume vigilante when he grows up. Low. Uh, yeah, extremely low. Um, low. <laughs> yeah. not great. There, it's not, it's not very likely that that's to happen. It almost feels too convenient for this to occur in the story to make some sort of connection between Alfred and Bruce. I don't agree with it. I don't think it's necessary. I think it would have been fine if Alfred was just, you know, the supporting character and he just happened to come in contact with this costume character because we know that costume characters have existed before, at least, you know, in continuity, costume characters existed before Batman did, at least, you know, with like the Justice Society of America and things like that, um, depending on which continuity version you want to look at. But the reality of it is it's not as if there couldn't have been costume heroes out there in the world to believe for a moment that Alfred is, was one of them and then ended up becoming, you know, the right-hand man for one of the costume heroes of today's world just seems too far-fetched for my liking. Um, I don't think it's, I, I, I don't like that connection to it, but at the same time, you know, does it take me away from the story? No, but when I look at it from the larger scheme of things, it, it, 
it is slightly annoying. Here's a sub question. Does that then make Alfred a hypocrite? Because there have been many supportive, I think, but I, I also don't of, you know, Bruce Wayne's Batman, obviously, since he'd stitched him up so many times. But I don't know if that's necessarily what he wants Bruce to do. And I think he's always tried to talk him down off that ledge. But how can if we take this now as <laughs> seeing what he's done? Yikes, that that sort of that sort of puts him in a bad place because he's been telling Bruce or he secretly wants, or maybe not secretly, but openly wants Bruce to not do something that he had done in the past. Uh, so there's some hypocrisy there, which I guess, you know, as Tynion said in his, uh, <laughs> in his interview, when I asked his 70 Brown, a, uh, a hypocrite, uh, he chuckled and said, well, I guess there's some hypocrisy always there with vigilantes and things like that. I guess it, it is sort of there no matter what. Uh, and perhaps this informs a lot of his decision making. And now he's got a, a different perspective and we can see him as a different perspective or having one because he's lived it. And so <laughs> we're just learning so many new things about Alfred <laughs> in this particular story arc. I, I think I absolutely think that it changes how we should view him and what his character has been like. He's not now just, and and like I said, I think in a previous episode, I haven't really read any, you know, golden age or silver age Alfred. I think I've always just assumed that he was, you know, a butler that has a dry sense of humor and he patches Bruce up when need be because he does have a military background, but now we're getting deeper and deeper. And he's not just this guy that walks around and dusts the chandelier he has a past, and it's not a bright past. It's it's a little dark. And so I, I think it is changing the character uh, quite a bit. I mean, it. we still see his journey's different, I guess we can say. His journey's different. The end point is still the same. But I think now when we're looking at the present Alfred and some of his decisions, I think now we have to look at it through a different lens because – our idea or our reasons for his motives are now, I think, clouded because if he asked Bruce to do something, if he does something, we probably had one idea of why he was doing this. And now I think this completely turns it on its head and we're like, well, wait, maybe he was telling Bruce to do this because of this reason. So I, I think we are going into an era era of a completely different Alfred Pennyworth. Yeah. Um, in fairness to Dustin's point, um, there is probably more vigilantes in the DC universe than in our universe, but it's still an incredible coincidence. Um, my other thought was when I first read this, which was weird was like, how many times have we seen Alfred crack a joke about Bruce dressing up in crazy costumes and doing stuff? Those jokes are very hollow. If Alfred has been in fact dressing up as a knight and doing secret right. missions, it just seems weird to me. And then it's Alfred's perspective, like all this time with the history of the character He's always said this thing to Bruce, like Stella talks about, you know, Alfred's point of view or Alfred's journey. Like, wouldn't his interaction with Bruce be totally different? Wouldn't we have a whole lot of, well, when I used to wear a costume, I wouldn't have came up at least once. I can't see why he'd keep it a secret from Bruce. Bruce knew he was in the Royal Marines. So unless unless there is some point in the story where Alfred does something that is terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Like something that he just couldn't bring himself to to tell Bruce, which is. I almost kind of think that's where we're going here. It does seem unlikely unless this comes to a bitter end that, you know, saying he wouldn't have brought this up at some point. Like, well, you know, you wear a bad costume. I wore a night costume. We're not that different. You know, I mean, 
I don't know. Um, you might be the Dark Knight, but I was the original Knight. Yeah, like, I mean, yeah, like, there's got to be a joke there, right? Like, it has to be. So, yeah, this brings up a lot of, of, of continuity questions of if you've been reading Batman for a long time, Dustin, Stella, you guys read a lot of Batman comics in your time. I can't even count all the times Alfred's cracked a joke about him dressing up in stupid costumes. I don't know. It just, I, I definitely think it changes my perspective on the character, assuming we're going to see some of him in costume. I mean, technically in this issue, we don't really see him in costume. We just see that, you know, this is maybe he leaves in the next issue, never really joins up. Um, I suppose that's possible, but if he in fact spends time as a costume vigilante, this would definitively change the character in some way for me. So I really think that the rest of the book was, was just kind of like a big action scene. And this was the meat of the book. So this was really the only question I had. Yeah. And just to go on to still a sub question about, you know, does it change his perspective? I think it, it definitely does. Gotcha. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's no, there's no question about it. And I think the, the biggest thing for me is just looking at from the perspective of the way Snyder has written Alfred over the past, you know, five, six years, he has written him in a specific way where this doesn't fall in line with the characterization that he himself has written. And there could be a possibility, like Ed said, that he, you know, he, you know, he doesn't end up putting on the costume. He doesn't join up or whatever, but it doesn't seem like that's the direction they're going. At least what would be the point of telling this story? If it was just basically like, I had the opportunity to become a vigilante, but then I chose not to. Um, It just, it doesn't make any sense, but the, the, there was one other thing that I wanted to quickly bring up before we get into the ratings, which was there was a point where uh, Alf, uh, Bruce Wayne has scars that uh, Alfred talks oh, yeah. about, and he, there's the, there's a huge contradiction that uh, Ian brought up in discussion with the rest of the staff, and then Corbin chimed in too um, about it. But basically, the idea is when he went through the process of coming back to life and regaining the ability, you know, coming back from the, his fight with the Joker um, during uh, Endgame, he basically lost all his scars. His scars were gone. Mm-hmm. Um, the Dysonium, you know, healed his entire body of all of the issues. They made a point to say that the scars had, had been, you know, they had healed themselves and they were all gone um, to have Snyder who wrote that story, right. That he has scars and use it as a, as a, device in the story seems a little misguided considering he was the one who supposedly made Bruce's body all back together. So just wanted to point that out. Bit sloppy. All right. So all-star Batman, I'm going to give three out of five. Um, I'm going to give it three out of five. It's not bad. It's just lots of questions. I will three out of five over on the website. Corbin gave it three and a half out of five. So that's going to give all-star Batman a total of three out of five batterings. Let's move into our next book, Batman. Batman number 27, The Ballad of Kite Man, part one. Script, Tom King. Pencils, Clay Man. Inks, Danny Mickey with John Livesay and Clay Man. And colors, Gabe Altaib. Charles Brown is sitting in a bar, (laughs) basically saying what his education has gotten him so far. When Batman enters and suddenly we see him on top of the roof and Batman is doing his Batman thing and accosting him and demanding that he find a way to contact the Joker. It seems that at some point in the past, Brown had done some work on the Joker mobile and its aerodynamics because that is Charles Brown's background. And while all the other people working on the Joker Mobile were killed, he was not. 
Charles seeks out Floyd Lawton, but only gets an untraceable phone number, which doesn't make Batman happy. So then Brown calls the number and sets up a meeting with the Joker. Later, Charles is at a park with his son flying a kite and says he'll have to miss his son's birthday because he has a meeting. Later, exiting a diner, Brown is kidnapped by Clayface. I guess that's what you call when you're absorbed in the Clayface's body, who then brings Brown to Riddler. Everyone and their mother then ends up coming to the meeting that he that Brown had planned with Joker, and this includes Batman, Riddler, Joker, and all the hench people. Brown explains what he got himself into to the Joker in, in this sort of roundabout way. The Joker ends up putting a suicide vest on Brown and sending him to Batman, but for whatever reason, the bomb does not go off. Later still, Brown is watching a report on TV regarding which side to take in the War of Jokes and Riddles, and... Well, it's a very interesting report because basically they're saying very controversial things that, you know, if we want the Riddler gone, we need to assist the Joker. If we want the Joker gone, we need to assist the Riddler. So what can the – that's news, I guess. Riddler calls Brown and in his Riddler way tells Brown that he poisoned the rope of the kite his son was using because he knew Brown would betray him. So at one point, we do see Brown with his son in the hospital. Batman's in the dark. Batman swears justice, but Brown decides to go about it in his own way, and he ends up creating his first kite man suit and then knocking on Joker's door. Uh, So this is just part one of the interlude. So just be aware that this uh, we're not going to see this resolved in the next issue. Uh, Okay. My first question is (laughs) regarding Batman. So I remember this cat. I guess I've been on a while, but remember we used to do OGN reviews. We used to read original graphic novels and uh, it would be a separate comic cast. Yes. And there was one in particular that I remember. It's Batman Noel. Does this come back to you? Do you remember this one? Okay. (laughs) I just want to be sure we're on the same page right now. Now, in that Batman Noel, Superman shows up at one point, and Batman, now I don't remember the details, but he had done something a little shifty and basically got one of his confidential informants in trouble, but he didn't show any sympathy for what happened to the guy because he just felt like the guy was dirt, even though the guy was going clean and everything. And Superman basically gave him the shame finger and said, what have you done? I thought about this a lot when I was reading this because in a way he's done the same thing, but Brown's child is the casualty. And so I'm wondering if you think that this is something that is inherent in Batman's character, that he will use uh, people that he thinks are are dirt and perhaps, you know, maybe he feels like they're irredeemable and he doesn't necessarily care as much for the consequences of those actions because he doesn't, I mean, in his Batman way, he's like, we'll get justice for, you know, what's happened to his son, but he never apologizes. Or do you think, so is this something that continued? Like, are we always going to see this with Batman? Do we consistently see it? Or do you think this is just because this is, the beginning of his tenure as Batman. So maybe this is just a mistake and he recognizes that and we, we aren't going to see this sort of thing happen a lot. Well, I certainly hope we don't see this happen a lot. I don't agree with this characterization of Batman. I don't think that Batman should be the character who, where he thinks that any, you know, nobody's irredeemable. It just doesn't work for the character. I mean, what would be the point of Bruce Wayne trying to rehabilitate 
you know, certain aspects of Gotham City, revitalize certain areas, fund Arkham Asylum to a degree. What would be the point of any of that if he truly believed that nobody was worth saving or that there was no chance that anybody could ever change? It just doesn't make any sense. Um, I didn't like the characterization in Batman Noel, um, you know, that characterization of just being, well, whatever it happens, it's not my problem. Um, this situation, yes, it does have more to do with the fact that, you know, he does have him go to the Joker when the Riddler uh, and, and the Riddler's pissed about it and kills his son. It does seem a little extreme for the Riddler at the same point. Um, yeah. But looking at the origin story of Kite Man as it's presented here, I think it was interesting. But I definitely don't like the characterization that Batman doesn't believe that anybody can ever change. I don't know what your other questions are, but I'll leave it at that because I got plenty of other things to say about this issue. Yeah, I, I didn't like it, Noel, either. I do want to say that Noel is one of the worst beautiful books I've ever read. Um, the art is fantastic in Noel, but the rest of the book's kind of junk. Um, yeah, I don't like this. Again, I think, you know, speaking to the fact that this is early in his career, but I actually would think it'd be the reverse. Wouldn't you think he would get more jaded the longer he was in his career? Wouldn't while he's at the beginning of his career as Batman, wouldn't that be when he could would still have the most hope? I would think that, that his being jaded would come later. And I could see if um, being jaded towards the Joker or the Riddler or even one of them. But this guy's a clown, you know, like he's he's not he's hired help. So, yeah, I, um, maybe he doesn't maybe he hasn't learned yet about repercussions and the fact that when you put someone in the line of fire, there's a good sh- chance they may get shot. Um, I don't like this characterization. I didn't like it. Noel either. Um, he should be more caring for the people around him. So I, <laughs> whoo, I re- that, that part of Noel stuck with me. I think more than any of the other sections of it. That's why it sort of came back to me. I was disappointed with this, uh, because I, I felt like, and, and I'm going to hope that it's because, He's basically a rookie, I would say, um, or at least, you know, the very beginning of his tenure. And, yeah, I, I think <laughs> it just seems like at this point in time that he, if he's desperate enough, he's going to do what he needs to do. And the collateral damage could get kind of high. And I think he'd be a little more caring because he doesn't show as much, I think, emotion as I think he should have with the sun, even though he's standing there. I guess you can read into it, but it just doesn't feel like he should be almost uh, self-flagellating like he normally does. You know, he's like, it's my fault. I should have done something. He's not doing that. He's not He's not that Batman yet, I guess. If it happens to the criminals, I think it's, you know, you can make a case either way. But because it was an innocent uh, boy, I think that's unfortunate. Uh, as for the boy being dead, I you put it out there, Dustin. It's ambiguous. I'm not really sure. I mean, he's he's obviously pretty sick, but uh, because he... I, I If he died, he died in off-panel end, and you know how much yeah. I don't like that place. My other question, uh, I'm not sure if uh, what... Uh, well, Dustin might have some other questions, is uh, why do you think Joker hasn't killed Kite Man yet? He doesn't... Well, let's say, why hasn't he killed Charles Brown? Because he just becomes Kite Man. Number one, he is the lasting person in the whole Joker-Mobile crew. crew. Wow. In the whole Joker-Mobile crew, which Charles believes is because maybe he could be of use again. 
And then that whole thing goes down with the, the battle at the meeting place. And he even confesses to Joker and Joker doesn't kill him right then and there. We could say maybe it's because Joker thought he was a little funny because he said it's kind of funny. And then he gives him the suicide bomber thing and that doesn't go off. So why is he still alive? What is it about Charles Brown that Joker's okay with him staying around when Joker's been killing people willy nilly in the story? Well, I think the most simplest answer to this is that Joker is a huge fan of Peanuts by Charles Schultz. And the name Charles Brown just is immediately funny to him because of the name Charlie Brown. No, honestly, I don't know. Really I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't got a better <laughs> I was one. like, okay, okay. Yeah, okay. Like, no, I don't have a better one than that. But I mean, like, there's no real explanation as to why he you know joker continues to let him live other than just to serve the purpose of he can't obviously die because he appears in the present time and this is taking place in the past um but i mean that the the peanuts thing we don't really know if the peanuts actually exist in in the batman universe or the dc universe it's but got to peanuts exist everywhere come on that's true that's true they really should um yeah but i would say that um there's no real reason that Joker needed to kill him uh, when he was part of the Joker mobile. I mean, like who knows what everybody's role was actually, but maybe there was something with the Joker mobile where something went wrong with the Joker mobile. But the only thing that didn't go wrong was the part that, you know, Brown worked on. And that's why, you know, that's why he didn't kill him that time. The other times, I mean, like, like I said, there's, there's no real good explanation as to why he's still alive, but he is, Obviously, he has to stay alive and he can't get killed here. I mean, maybe there's a point where Joker does try to kill him and just fails multiple times just by accident. So who knows? Well, we have, thinking back a little bit, and we've seen this a few times in continuity, but what was the annual not too long ago? I think it was a tie-on one. Remember the Joker had a buddy that he kept like falling around? And the guy kept moving and Joker would follow him, you know? Yes, yes, um, I do remember that, yeah. I think sometimes, I mean, one of the things, the funny characteristic one could say of the Joker is he's nuts, right? He's, he's totally Fruit Loops. So maybe he's just taking a soft spot for the guy because he's nuts. And and we've seen him when he kind of develops a soft spot for someone like that buddy he fought around. Um, he starts to think of him as friends, even though that they're they're clearly not. So maybe this has got the same fascination with this guy as this guy from the, uh, the annual. <laughs> same fascination. Yeah, I... I mean, we've talked about, I think we're, we're seeing a Joker that we can't necessarily uh, see what his motives are. So <laughs> I guess it's it's all a big question, but it just seems like Charles here is the luckiest man in the world yeah, really. because he probably should have died three times in this issue and hasn't. So whether he does find amusement in him because Joker does say like, like the comic strip. So he does mention something. So I think, you know, some form of peanuts exists in this universe or uh, I don't know if he sees some sort of end game with him. Ooh, end game with him. I, I, I don't have a, have a good answer, but he's, he's pretty lucky, but now he's, Kite man standing outside his door. So let's see if um, what what the next step will be and and uh, <laughs> how they're going to get along. Those are the only two questions that I had. So Dustin, if you had another one that you wanted to ask, yeah, I mean, basically the the one that I wanted to talk about was just the idea of like you know Kite man having an established origin 
now because he's um, kite man. Because he's kite man. I mean, like, do, do do we actually need to have an established origin for kite man? No, we definitely don't. But you know, I have no problems getting an origin for kite man. It's kind of funny. It's also kind of interesting because you know, you you mentioned that you know he's possibly just ridiculously lucky. And that's why he's not dead. And that could be true, too, because at least the way Tom King has portrayed him in the stories that Kite Man has shown up in so far, he does seem just like slightly lucky in the situations that he gets that he gets into. Um, he's not by any means, a you know, supervillain mastermind by any means. No. So, I mean, like the fact that the guy is still alive, he probably is really lucky. And that's probably where, you know, that's maybe the best reason as to why he's still alive is just because Tom King thinks of the guy as ridiculously lucky in comparison to, you know, the real Charlie Brown, who's, who always is not very lucky at all. So, mm-hmm. um, but the big thing that, I mean, it's not really of a question. It's more of a, just a thought on it. Um, you know, the, as far as an origin goes, I thought it was kind of cool to see a character that by no means deserved an origin story, but, to get an origin story was kind of cool. I mean, like, yes, it does show up in a very peculiar place in in the midst of this war of joke and riddles. Um, and the fact that we're going to get a second issue, I'm not going to complain about it because I didn't think this issue was super horrible. There was elements that I didn't like, but at the same time, like the idea of a villain from, you know, the silver age getting an origin story that is more current um, and makes it makes the character a little bit more relevant. I think it's kind of cool. I mean, honestly, Stella, when last year when you asked Scott Snyder the list of the villains and he said Kite Man was going to appear over in Batman with Tom King, did we ever think Kite Man was going to get a story about himself? I don't think anybody thought that that was going to happen. Negative. Yeah. So I thought it was kind of cool. All right. So Batman, I'm going to give a total of three and a half out of five bad ranks. Um, you know, three, three out of five. It gives me hope that if I ever become, you know, if DC ever knocks on my door and says, Stella, do you want to write a Batgirl comic that I can take? I can go on a tangent and do an amazingly spectacular job of giving (laughs) a lovely interlude. Oh man. I let's see. Oh, this is our, I'll give it a 3.5 out of five. And over on the website, Matthew gave it four and a half out of five. So that's going to give Batman a total of three and a half out of five batterings. Before we move on, so I have to say, if you ever got to the point where you are a writer on Batgirl and you Uh, had the potential to give Killer Moth an interlude. I think you should just redo Killer Moth, not not completely, but redo him, give him a brand new origin, awesome origin, and then make him like the the villain for Batgirl, not just yeah the, the villain, villain that was yeah. around in the beginning. Absolutely, absolutely. The Joker of Batgirl. Okay. Yeah, just because <laughs> so, just because of the yeah, history. Like- yeah, the history. Yeah, because, you know, Calculator is, I think, the antithesis to Oracle. So I exactly. just feel like Killer Moth is the antithesis to uh, Batgirl for sure. But definitely nobody's picking up and doing that. So yeah. something that you need to do. Yes. All right. So that is that book. Let's move into our next book, which is Detective Comics. Detective Comics. 
Detective Comics number 961, art by, uh, written by James Tyne IV, art by Alvaro Martinez. Zatanna opens our issue in flashback, showing a young Bruce a card trick, revealing the truth of her magic to Bruce, and trying to impress him by telling him about the God Machine. However, they are surprised by her father, Zatara, who sees what his daughter has done, quickly takes steps to erase the dangerous knowledge of the sphere from Bruce's mind, despite his trust in the young man's goodness. As the two teens retreat, they bump into Ra's al Ghul, who is meeting with Zatara. In the present, Zatanna regrets the foolishness of her youth that led her to show him the sphere. His first memory erasing was undone by Ra's al Ghul in the League of Shadows arc. She continues to resist Batman's request to use the sphere, but a bat alarm interrupts their debate, and the two old friends rush to the aid of Batman's team. Jean-Paul Valley Azrael wakes up in a strange world of blue sky and endless water. A strange boy talks to him. The manifestation of the system of the Order of St. Tomas hammered into his brain as a child and calls itself Ascalon. Jean-Paul reacts to the system, which is which is the robotic Ascalon reset in their last encounter, similar to the way Jean-Paul himself reset Bane and Red Robin's minds during Batman and Robin Eternal. Jean-Paul rejects the dangerous dangerous notions of uh, Ascalon's d- division of the world, and the theological debate affects the psychic world around the two, causing a terrifying storm as Ascalon vows to kill the team using Azrael's body. Outside, Azrael's body attempts to follow Ascalon's order, and as Luke and Kate attempt to break through the brainwashing of years and the attack of the hostile artificial intelligence. Cassandra arrives, giving Kate a chance to hold Azrael off. Ascalon sees the evil in Gotham and plans to eliminate it all by killing everyone in the city using Luke's collection of Batwing robotic armors. Luke coordinates the attack, directing Kate and Cass to attempt to destroy the headpiece of the Suit of Sorrows, which interfaces Jean-Paul with Ascalon. Luke runs to his work stop, encountering Rookie, who has not been taken over by the evil AI like all of the other all of the all of Luke's other artificial intelligences. This prompts an idea from Luke as Cass and Kate finally manage to stun Azrael long enough for Batman and Zatanna to arrive and put Jean-Paul in a ma- magical sleep. Zatanna g- gives Kate some healing to help her recover from the vicious injury she sustained in the fight against Azrael, and Luke reveals his suit of armor interfacing with the artificial intelligence based upon the moral center of Batman, the Azbet suit. Luke proposes they give Jean-Paul the suit so he can defeat Ascalon once and for all. All right, so first question. Asbat Suits makes an appearance here. Um, it's interesting because he specifically says that uh, the AI is based upon the moral center of Batman, and that's why it was able to not be controlled by Ascalon. Because we were just talking about the characterization of Batman and not having kind of that moral ground um, and, and kind of deciding that you know he can put anybody at risk, um, the moral center of the AI, you know, specifically rookie, um, is, is the same as Batman and that's why it's not taken over. So he uploads this, the Asbat suit, which will allow Jean-Paul Valley, I suppose, to have the same sort of moral center as Batman so that he can, you know, he can fight against Ascalon, who we would assume is the complete opposite. Um, is there really a question at this point of the story that Ascalon is not, is, is, is going to, is going to lose. Well, of course he's going to lose. I mean, the, the, yes. I mean, the part, part of the problem, part of the problem I I've realized with some of these stories is that it's not that, you know, they're doing a bad job telling the story. It's that they're not building up it. This, you know, these, these no stakes, 
there's no stakes. Exactly. I mean, like at least with the spoiler story, there was stakes. She actually left the team, you know, with Cassandra, the, you know, she, you, there was a question of whether she was going to leave the team just because it seemed like everybody was getting kicked off the team or not kicked off, but leaving the team or being killed as in Tim Drake's situation. But um, you know, there, this doesn't feel like there's stakes, like the last three sto- major story arcs that occurred have, uh, have had. So, I mean, the fact that there isn't really any stakes and we know that this is an Azrael centric story is it's, I mean, like outside of the fact that we, you know, some of us are not a huge fan of Azrael. <laughs> do you believe that this story has gone in a direction where it doesn't really make a difference how it ends because we know already how it's going to end? Yes. But I think that, I think that the problem is, is, is that when you have a central character, that we're just not invested in, it's tough to make us care. You know what I'm saying? The other problem is, what, what if they throw us a curveball and Azrael gets decapitated? We're still not going to lose that's, any sleep over it. You know what I'm saying? Like, even if the worst thing happens in the story, we're not going to be that cracked up about it. Like, if, if we opened the next issue of Detective and the very next page was like, oh, that's Jean-Paul Valley's head on a spike. That's eh, unfortunate. Let's see what else. You know, like, there's no stakes. I don't think we have, we're any, having any investment in the character on which these stakes might come upon. You know, you people with your your Azrael hatred and i i when i had my impromptu interview with james tanya one of my questions was actually going to be about you two people were like oh, yeah, you know my colleagues yeah. they don't really like him as much so what is it about Azrael that why does he deserve to be on the team i rephrased it a little bit but it's in there you read that there's a question in there and you know that i'm pointing to you <laughs> so <laughs> Whatever. The the question, well, it's an interesting one, right? And, and I'll go back to something I said regarding Alfred is we, we hope that the end result is, of course, as as Ascalon gets beaten. Uh, it would be odd if he didn't. I think it's just the journey and what happens leading up to it that is a concern. I'm a little worried that something very damaging is going to happen to Azra. I'm actually concerned about Jean-Paul getting injured. My hope is that he is able to buck the system and that Luke and his techno wizardry is is able to help him. But I also think there's a moral, ethical question with that because he's basically replacing one form of mind control with another one. And I think in with all of this is, you know, Jean-Paul doesn't have, it doesn't seem like he has many choices. So I, I do question that sort of thing. But yeah, I mean, Ascalon probably should fall. I think with all the threats that we've seen, I feel like he's kind of lower on it. I mean, in this run, I feel like we've seen more attention. I mean, with Kane, I feel like that was sort of the apex of everything that's happened so far to this team. But uh, yeah, so he should fall. It's just what happens in between. That was the main question, right? Is there any question of whether he's going to lose or not? Exactly. Yes, that was that was the main question. Yeah. Um, my, the, the next question I want to pose to you guys is there... Zatanna and Bruce have kind of had their own story going on for the majority of the story arc. And then suddenly they get an alert and they have to go link up with the other group. Um, the way Ian phrased it on, on the website was the a plot meets the B plot in a very strange and abrupt way. Um, and, and I honestly feel like that is probably the best way to describe Pretty it accurate. because there's, there's basically two different stories going on here. And then suddenly they just immediately have to intersect just because, 
Um, and honestly, Batman showing up has nothing to do with it. I mean, Zatanna is able to put a magical spell on Azrael so that, you know, he goes to sleep for a while. Um, but ultimately, is it is it entirely necessary for these two stories to actually meet up? Or does it just feel like it was happenstance that uh, th- this happened just to get the two ongoing stories to, to meet up? I don't think it was necessary in this issue for the two stories to meet up. But I'm pretty sure... Um, our our scribe has us going to a place where we need to get them together. And unfortunately, sometimes you just got to smash them together. So probably not necessary for this issue. Batwoman's injuries just didn't have to be as bad. And, and Luke could have found some way to subdue him. Um, but I think that he's trying to get him together for some reason. So I think it is necessary, just not necessary right here. Yeah. I'm... <sighs> I'm, I feel like, and you know, there's someone listening to this. His name is Donovan Morgan Rant that doesn't like this word, but it feels slightly. I won't even. I won't even say the F word. I'll say it feels contrived the to, to a certain extent because the, forced. He doesn't oh, like the word. Forced. Oh, sorry. Okay. Like forced plot lines or stories. No, not the other one. Yeah. So I'll say contrived because I feel like when I'm reading this book right now that I'm reading two completely different stories. Uh, you described, I think, Dustin, as plot A, plot B. And because we have this Batman Zatanna thing, and then we have this everything else that's going on. What was hilarious about it, though, was what Kate was saying. <laughs> because she was saying, you know, if you were out there fighting vampires, I'm going to be really upset. Because they were out doing whatever, and he was late to the party. It just doesn't seem like the two really mix. Like, he's with Zatanna for a very particular purpose while all this other stuff is going on. And I almost wish that she hadn't come over and, and done that. Like, was she really the only person that could have put him out? And and part of me also wondered, even though I know how strong her magic is, I mean, it's not Jean-Paul that's in there. Like, there's something inside of him that's working. So I wonder if that would have been able to sort of rebuff the spell. But was there another way? I wish there were another way because it just seems like while I think they needed to intersect at some point, this wasn't the time. And what they've been doing over there just doesn't seem to have any correlation with what's been going on o- over here. Uh, hopefully people understand by what I mean by when I say over there and over here. So what's been going on with Batman and Zatanna doesn't seem to have any correlation whatsoever with what's going on with Azrael. And I felt like I feel like they should have just kept separate. Yeah, or they could have done a backup story. That's true too. But um, but, but the, the the problem that I see is like Ed said, it feels like they need to somehow link up. Um, I can't honestly make the connection between the two. I, I don't know if Zatanna is going to somehow have some input as to how. Uh, Jean-Paul Valley will need to take out Ascalon. I, I don't know. I mean, if this all wraps up where it's just basically like Zatanna showed up, Bruce was asking the question, and then they randomly side plot si- or side story takes place where, you know, Ascalon and, and Azrael fights. Azrael defeats Ascalon by no means in any way being helped by Batman or Zatanna. And then the end of the story is Zatanna going, well, here's, here's the thing. I'll tell you what you want to know. And then that's the end that, be a pretty weak way of telling the story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But I feel honestly like that's the way we're going because it doesn't feel like there's any connection between the two of them other than just this sudden appearance and then sudden disarming of Azrael um, in, in this issue. So 
I really hope that's not the direction we go because I feel like, and I'm not just saying this because I, you know, I don't like Jean Paul Valley, but like, I feel like honestly, so far, this is the weakest story arc of Tynan's run on detective comics. Um, and, and, and I, and it's nothing against Tynan because I think he's a good writer. And I think that a lot of his story arcs were really good, but I feel like this story arc is just weak. And I don't know if it's just because it's focusing so heavily on Azrael, but I, but I know it, it can't just be that because there's other parts of it that, you know, aren't matching up like this whole two stories going on at once and then just intersecting for no specific reasoning. So, all right. So with that, I'm going to give this issue a total of three out of five. I'm going to say three and a half out of five. I think I liked it a little more than you. And I love Zatanna as a character. And you love Jean-Paul as a character. Oh, boy. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll get you to admit it soon. I will agree and say three <laughs> three out of five. All right. So then uh, over on the website, Ian gave it four and a half out of five. So it's going to give Detective Comics a total of three and a half out of five batarangs. That is all of our in-depth reviews. Let's jump over to the website for Greater Gotham. First up on June 19th, as we already talked about, Batman number 27, we had uh, Nightwing number 25. Nightwing saves the villains who were trying to take him down last issue before the explosion goes off. Afterwards, he takes down both Tiger Shark and Blockbuster and has a moment to spend with Sean. So by David, he gave it four and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Abstain. You don't even say what the moment is, Dustin. What was the moment? What was the moment? Yeah. Why do I need to say what the moment was? Because they're done. That is an important detail. It's not oh, like they break up. Moment. Yeah, they're done. Why do I need to say that in my recap? <laughs> because people need to know that detail. Come on. Then they should read Nightwing 25 and then find out or read our review on the website. Well, you, I think you, you lied to them a little bit. You like led them astray. You're like those covers that have something on the outside, but nothing like that happens in there. Yeah, you made it sound like they, like they had a moment, like they sat yeah. out for dinner. Like we, had, sure we, we got spaghetti. <laughs> I'll give it a thumbs up though. After we just roasted uh, Dustin over the fire. Batwoman number five, the love tale between Kate and Saif is told all while Knife is trying to keep the two apart. This is by Jessica. She gave it four and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Thumbs up. Dustin calls her Saif. I call her Sophia. And so does Marguerite Bennett. Uh, I give this a thumbs up. <laughs> that may be the best line in history. That was good. Harley Quinn number 24. Yeah, Harley deals with Sportsmaster and Clock King with the help of her parents in the first story. In the second story, Harley fights the carpenter over the bill for the new hideout. This is by David. He gave it four and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Thumbs up. Abstain. Secondary TV books. Batman 66 meets the Legions of Legion of Superheroes number one, which includes digital chapters one and two. The Legion of Superheroes travel through time to get help from history's best teenage superhero, Robin. This is by Jerry. He gave it three out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Abstain. 
Thumbs up. Main DC Universe books, Super Sons, number six. Robin and Superboy go out on patrol Metropolis where they find the Teen Titans are in town to deal with a new threat. This was reviewed by Jessica. She gave it four and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Abstain. Abstain. Trinity number 11. The Trinity are able to defeat the Traveler and free the Perfect. This was reviewed by Bill. He gave it two and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs down. Oh, dear. I hate to do this to this book because it's been so brilliant at some points, but it's a thumbs down. Uh, neutral. Justice League number 25, the Justice League fight an ancient evil that in the past took the entire Green Lantern Corps to subdue. Batman and Molly engage in a mm. philosophical conversation go. about rebirth and death. This is by Jim. He gave it three and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one neutral. Neutral. Stain. Secondary DC Universe books, DC Comics Bombshells number 31, which includes digital chapters 92 through 95. The bombshell versions of Joker's Daughter, Hugo Strange, Victoria October, Poison Ivy, and Harley Quinn all appear in the issue. Green Arrow number 27, Black Canary appears in the issue. Injustice number two, Injustice two number six, which includes usual chapters 11 through 12. The Injustice versions of Joker and Batman both appear in the issue. Moving over to July 26th, we have main TBU books. Detective Comics and All-Star, we already talked about. Batgirl number 13, Batgirl and Catwoman team up with Babs. Student Esme to track down some missing pets. This is by Ian. He gave it two out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs down. Abstain. OMG. My nemesis, Velvet Tiger, returns. Um, (laughs) Man, you can't get rid of that lady, I have to say. You know what? I've been enjoying it. 12 was the best issue Hope Larson has written in her run. And this one, I still am enjoying it because we're not plagued with Barbara Gordon's romantic woes. This is a good break because apparently the next six issues, I don't know, are going to be dealing with her and Dick Grayson. So I'm going to give this a thumbs up. Doesn't it seem strangely odd to you that the reason you're giving a thumbs up is because it's not dealing with her romantic woes when the character shouldn't be dealing with romantic woes on a normal basis anyway? Well, um, (laughs) <laughs> I mean, she can, you know, have some shipping here and there, but it just seems like she's been constantly being paired up with people who are clearly wrong. And then it's super terrible. Ba- wow. Super terrible, bad characterization because she oh. shouldn't be going for these guys anyways. So I don't know. Cause I'd be fine. I, I felt like there was a good balance with the Burnside run. Right. But what I'm saying is, like, are you so giving much. a thumbs up specifically because She's not dealing with romantic yeah. woes. No, no, that's okay. not why. Because I actually think that the storytelling in 12 storytelling was great. I, I just think it's ironic that, hey, look at how good the storytelling is. And we didn't even need to talk about her romance. Okay. Well, Batgirl's been that's on a, bit of a I mean. bad run since she started dating Pegleg back in the New 52. Oh, my gosh. You know, it's not good. No, it's not. I can't wait to see him in the live action Batgirl film. Please let me see that happen. I just want to see that happen now more than anything in the world. All right. Uh, I want to see Barbara Gordon dating a one man leg on live action. I just, Ricky, I can't believe how good that would be. Okay. Batman beyond number 10. (laughs) Damian Wayne recounts to his father where his whereabouts during the brother eye invasion. Batman is ready for round two against the new demon. This is by Jim. He gave it three and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Neutral. I was trying to figure some way to rhyme it, but I couldn't do it. Thumbs up. Mother Panic number nine. Violet takes down the body bag killer with an assist from Batman. Despite being in extreme pain and needing surgery for her implants. This is by Jerry. He gave it three out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Neutral. 
I I want to apologize because I remember not really liking. I think maybe the first one I, I gave it an okay, and then I was just poo pooing it, and then I stopped reading it. But in doing research for my interview with Jody Hazard, I read all eight issues, and I've actually felt like it's actually good storytelling. So I do apologize for that, listeners. But I will give this a thumbs up. Secondary TV books: Batman, The Shadow, Number Four, The Joker, and The Stag have been captured, and it's up to the Shadow to save him before the Stag executes him and gains entrance into Shambhala. Zubai Paul, he gave it four and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Thumbs up. Pure fun. Abstain. Main DC Universe books, Teen Titans number 10 is the Teen Titans aid Jackson's injured mother. Black Manta captures his son and sets a course for his true prize, a fable Black Pearl that holds control over the ocean itself. Zubai Ryan, he gave it four and a half, four out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Thumbs down. It has Black Manta in it. Yikes. Um, thumbs up. Justice League of America number 11. The Justice League of America faces off against King Butcher while the Adam and Killer Frost continue to search for a cure for Frost cold sickness. So by Paul, he gave it three out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. 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 Suicide Squad number 22. Harley gets the team out of a pickle and finds out who killed Hack while Waller is captured and escapes from the people. This is by Corbin. He gave it three and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Neutral. Abstain. Secondary DC Universe books, uh, Blue Beetle number 11. Batman appears at the very end of the issue as a tease for the next month. And uh, then moving into uh, TBU Trades and Hardcover, we have Batman Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Volume 1 Trade Paperback, Robin Volume 4 Turning Point Trade Paperback, Elseworlds Justice League Volume 2 Trade Paperback, and Batman Superman One Woman Trinity New Edition Trade Paperback. So that's everything that came out in the past two weeks, everything that we mentioned uh, that had reviews and we gave ratings for, or we gave a, a rating for, uh, you can check out reviews and detailed synopses of all of those issues over on the website. And keep in mind that every single week, every Wednesday, we post all the reviews related to Batman characters, Batman specific comics. Um, so that would be like Batman detective, all-star, um, we also do the main, the big DC events on Wednesdays as well. Thursdays is all of the greater Gotham characters, which would be like Nightwing, Harley Quinn, Batwoman, Red Hood and the Outlaws, anything that's one of the main, you know, one of the supporting characters of Batman, one of the members of the Bat family. And then on Friday is all of the DC Universe books that feature other uh, TBU characters like Super Sons, Justice League of America, Justice League, Suicide Squad, so forth and so on. So be sure to check out Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday every single week for reviews and detailed synopses of all of those issues that come out on a normal basis. So we uh, can't jump into listener Q&As because there is no listener Q&As this time around. Oh. because. I guess everybody was uh, was floored by how much news was released for, cool. from Comic-Con. Anyway, um, so we have no listener Q&As, um, but I, I will take this opportunity to remind you to, one, support us on Patreon. Uh, we are looking to redo the website in the coming months, and the more money we have, the better of a website we can have because we can have uh, better designer and developers work on the site compared to people who we can't afford as, as much. So um, your support is directly going to the re- renovation of the website to make a better website, a faster loading website so that you can download your podcasts quicker and things like that. So uh, please support us on Patreon. If you do not wish to support us on Patreon, you can support us directly on PayPal by doing a one-time donation by hitting that TBU 
or by hitting the PayPal donate button on the website as well. In addition to that, if you have any special skills that you'd like to offer up in, instead of volunteering money to us, you can certainly do that. We are definitely lo- always looking for more news writers, comic book reviewers, original content editor, uh, creators, specifically having to do with, uh, let's say, creating merchandise reviews or in, in video format or creating some sort of you know unique article series or something like that. Uh, we have all kinds of possibilities that could be done, and I'm pretty open to pretty much anything because I've recently have been going back and looking through some of the past articles from six plus years ago. And we did a lot of really, really crazy weird stuff over the years. So I I have been completely open to a lot of weird and crazy things. So if you have an idea that you'd like to run by us, or you have a special skill such as video editing, audio editing, graphic design, web developing, writing, any of that stuff, you you can definitely contact us at tbu at thebatmanuniverse.net and we will get you set up with a project. So outside of that, be sure to check out the website for all the latest news related to movies, TV, merchandise, video games, and of course the comics. Also be sure to check out all the other podcasts that we have to offer. We have new podcasts releasing every single week, um, specifically um, there is new episodes of Back of Oracle normally on Tuesdays. Or every other Tuesday. Tuesday's the release date for Back of the Oracle. Wednesday's the release date for Robin. Everyone loves the Drake. Thursdays alternate between Bat fans and Bruce Wayne's world. And then Fridays, you'll get our comic cast. And any week we don't have a comic cast, you will be actually have a new episode of Bat Books for Beginners on Fridays as well. So there'll be always be a comic related podcast released on Friday. So uh, specifically, if you are ha- have not seen last week's episode of Bat Books for Beginners, dealed with identity crisis, and the next episode that you'll hear next week will he- will be Batman Dark Detective. So be sure to check out Bat really? Books for Beginners. In addition to that, find us on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter for all these news and videos from the Batman universe. And uh, you can always leave us reviews on iTunes. Those are always greatly appreciated. And be sure to leave your comments on the podcast for the next episode. With that, that is everything for this episode. This is Dustin. This is Ed, and we are also taking applications for a butler, if anyone's interested. No. Does he have a past in the... uh, Preferably a a, a shady past. And maybe wore a pseudo armor. Possibly vigilante, yeah. yeah okay. Uh, and this is Artemis. And you have been listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. We'll see you guys in two weeks. Bye.